Welcome to episode 253 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to chat about the USDA's recent finalization of a regulation-free approach to the design, cultivation, and sale of certain gene-edited plants. And by uh, follow-on foods, that would be in in our uh, grocery store. So uh, on March 28th, the USDA released uh, to the press this, this statement that they do not regulate or have any plans to regulate plants that could otherwise have been developed through traditional breeding techniques. Uh, so the translation is, if the they determine that however the plant's been altered via, uh, you know, gene editing, if that could have sort of reasonably been uh, done through uh, sort of the standard breeding protocols uh, for plants, albeit over over time, you know, over a much longer period of time. So if they determine that that could have, you know, reasonably happened, then they're not going to regulate that plant. So anything that's, uh, you know, making tweaks to the, the genome of a plant uh, turning things on and off, for instance, uh, you know, perhaps for the for the reasons of making the plant hardier or being resistant to certain herbicides or making it uh, more nutritious in some way, tastes better uh, and tastes better. Uh, all of those things will be unregulated territory as far as the U.S. DA is concerned. And so they include in this, you know, unregulated area, you know, any new techniques that that are being used by plant breeders, which which of course includes uh, CRISPR, you know, for uh, changing the way the gene uh, is put together. So now, what do they consider biotechnology? Right. So so on the one hand, we have uh, this this uh, uh, alterations that could be expressed in in nature. As, as being unregulated. Well, if the alteration could not happen in nature, so if you took, uh, you know, some, some gene from, from a fish and put it in your tomato, say, uh, you know, that, that couldn't have happened in nature, or at least not in the nature that we're familiar with. So um, that would be uh, considered biotechnology that that would need to be regulated in some way by the USDA. So it seems a pretty clear um, distinction, even though, you know, you can, you know, and we will discuss whether or not, you know, what we think the outcomes of this might be. Uh, One of the possible outcomes, and and probably pretty likely, is that you're going to have a lot of smaller players, you know, not not sort of the giants, whether it's DuPont or Monsanto. You're, you're going to have smaller companies, academic labs, uh, you know, organizations like that who can now sort of play in this space of, you know, altering the genes of, 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 uh, of plants and, you know, hopefully having some uh, very positive results with that, but it's going to increase the amount of competition uh, in in the field for sure. So with that summary, Dirk, what you know what are your initial thoughts on this uh, 
this statement from the USDA? Well, it's certainly provocative. Um, I'm, I, this is an area that I'm not very knowledgeable about. So I'm not qualified to say if this is something we should be concerned about or if it's much ado about nothing. You know, the question, the big question is, is there risk to humans for ingesting these sorts of genetically modified things? What, What the FDA is basically saying is no. They're saying the logic trail, or it might even be the science trail, I mean, maybe they can they can prove this, it seems to be if it's something that could happen in nature, even if it would take a long time in nature, then it's okay. Um, and maybe it is okay, maybe it's not. I don't, I don't know. So um, that's sort of the essential question. And, and what I'm interested in, having read this story and are talked about it a little bit, is it, do scientists think that there is no risk? Do scientists think, yeah, if it's um, if it's possible in nature, within the context of the natural organism, to have this mutation happen, is it safe to humans to insert it, um, to modify it, to happen immediately? And that's something that I need to to look into. Um, but, you know, it's another show where we're talking about the government's relationship to technology. And, you know, in this case, the government is taking a very specific position. It's a position that... Um, happily doesn't seem to be driven by the big, um, you know, bio companies. I mean, you know, this, I don't think Monsanto's happy about this. If it was more top-down regulated, then little players wouldn't be able to get in. Monsanto and their competitors could sort of control this uh, from from a big money, big budget perspective. So I'm, I'm heartened by the fact that it doesn't it doesn't seem like a decision that was bought and paid for by big corporate interests. That makes me hopeful that there's merit in 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 the position. Um, but yeah, I mean, with with government, that's always the question: is what what is the genesis of this decision? Who funded this decision? Um, you know, did we get here through merit and fact, or did we get here through you know essentially bribery? Um, yeah, yeah. For myself, I, I think the the idea of having a second set of eyes on food products feels now certainly uh, there, there are all kinds of other regulations that uh, you know these these foods would be subject to. So right. it's not like they could you know just uh, sort of distribute uh, whatever you, you want. It still has to be uh, you know follow uh, other safety and uh, freshness and 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 other measures. Uh, in order to get into your your grocery store, I, I think having a second set of eyes on on food products is can only be a good thing, and and there's certainly uh, the ability to do some of that. For for instance, I'll give you an example: the um, when you're altering grains, for instance, there's uh, some experimentation around reducing the amount of gluten. Uh, in wheat, obviously, uh, folks uh, have celiac uh, disease and can be yeah. very sensitive to gluten. So, so that that would be a desirable outcome if you enjoy eating uh, wheat products, and uh, but you don't want quite as much gluten in there. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, the ability to verify that this product is you know sort of indeed uh, safe for human consumption and that. It's not going to have you know averse effects 
I always feel better if the if there's if there's a little bit more verification in there. And like you, I'm not familiar with the entire you know USDA process, so it does make me feel like uh, every time there is a largely unregulated sector, it sort of throws the doors open wide for experimentation. And while I'm not made nervous by GMO foods, generally speaking, uh, like I said, a a third party observation uh, feels a little better to me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just being paranoid. Maybe we don't know. I don't think either of us know is the problem, right? I mean, as you mentioned, there are other checks and balances from becoming a food producer to people being able to buy that food on a supermarket shelf, right? And so I think we're also ignorant of what those checks and balances are. Your point that there should be checks and balances, absolutely. The question is where to draw the line. So let me let me use a silly example to make your position look silly for a second. If I said, look, I'm going to start producing tomato peanut butter, um, should that be put through some kind of a process? And we'd say, no, mixed tomatoes and peanut butter, F all, man. Knock yourself out. We we instinctively know that there's no health risk. There might be a, a, a taste police emergency situation going on, but there's no health risk to tomato peanut butter. It may be, ignorant to you and me, just as obvious that there's no health risk to genetically modifying the genes of strawberries within the the limits of how strawberry genes could be modified in the first place, right? It may be as innocuous uh, bringing together tomato and peanut butter is actually horrifying. So I'm calling it innocuous might be the wrong example, but um, it, it, it may be just as innocuous as bringing together tomato and peanut butter. So that's that's the real question is like what where there's there's white, there's gray, and there's black. Bringing t- together tomato and peanut butter from a health safety perspective is almost certainly in the white area. Um, then there are other things that are in the gray area of we're not sure that do need some form of regulation. And then there's things in the black area which are do not do, will not, will not make it through. And I, I, think, um, I think it's a really compelling topic, but I don't think you and I are knowledgeable enough to know what things are, are white and gray and black, really, other than tomato and peanut butter. Yeah, I think so. Uh, to follow up on that, I, I think that there, there are two, two items that, that point towards the uh, uh, better be safe than sorry uh, uh, perspective here. Uh, one is that it's, it's pretty clear that there's not going to be any GMO labeling for foods that, uh, you know, sort of meet this criteria that, that uh, it, it could have uh, occurred naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there are certainly uh, companies that voluntarily will uh, will label their food as GMO free, right? Sort of going the opposite direction, and and there are there are regulations uh, sort of outside of the U.S. that uh, um, you know can require uh, GMO labeling. Now, I think it's interesting that if there is no sort of potential risk, there's still the psychological aspects of you know, this, this new product that's been uh, produced in a way that people might be uncomfortable with. So I think that even though the product, you know, may be, may be fine to put on the shelf, you know, people are still going to uh, look at it as, as being possibly hazardous and then therefore wouldn't go in and purchase it. The second part of this is 
if you know a, a product is released on the market, there's no guarantees that it's you know safe to begin with. I mean, I know that artificial sweeteners sort of made the march through uh, all the necessary processes, and there's all sorts of hor- example. uh, horrific examples example. of, yeah. of how artificial sweeteners turned out to be more artificial. Uh, and and somewhat dangerous than you know sort of delivering on the promise of you know a low calorie mm-hmm. sweetener that was safe to ingest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think both of those things, both the uh, if you're perfectly satisfied that it's safe, why not label it? You know, uh, and then secondly, there are plenty of examples of things that people said were perfectly safe were labeled with said, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, ingredient and turned out to be, you know, uh, causing problems in the, in the long run. Uh, so I think that the, the track record of putting things in food that we don't know as much about as we should uh, is not great, especially in the U.S. Uh, so, so hopefully this will not be the case. And I'm not a science skeptic. I think it's probably... Um, you know, it probably is for the most part safe. Yeah. Uh, but, but uh, I've got that little itch that that says, uh, you know, well, if that's the case, then let's let's be transparent about it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think your point about labeling is good, and I don't think the decision has been made yet. I think, I think, um, in what I've read, the, the sort of tea leaves are reading as if there won't be a labeling requirement, but that has not been formalized yet. And yeah, I mean, throwing a label on there makes sense. Um, you, you know, w- one thing I've noticed in recent years, or I guess it's not recent anymore, you know, a decade or, or more, um, one of the places where we shop is Whole Foods. And Whole Foods takes it upon itself to label things. So the the FDA or whatever the appropriate regulatory bodies are don't require it. But Whole Foods has a whole um, sort of rainbow of ratings that they give the fish that they're selling. Which basically saying this is the most environmentally responsible fish to get to. This is the one that's most in danger, and you know you're you're potentially being the most harmful by eating this fish. Similar, but you know, sort of different criteria for meats as well. And that's a case of the you know the the purveyor as opposed to the creator. You know, putting that layer on top to sort of give their uh, customers a better view, a more clear view into what exactly they're purchasing. And, and ultimately consuming. So if the FDA doesn't step up, I mean, maybe it will be companies like Whole Foods that put a little layer on top of it to, to try and protect us as well. I, you know, the government doesn't do a good job in responding to technology and making good decisions around, um, you, you know, sort of protecting and being paternalistic to, to the citizenry and the society around the movement of technology. Some of that has to come from the people in the market, and, and maybe it will in this case too. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good example with Whole Foods. I I think so. Two things. One one reason that this is so important that we have these discussions, both you know, on the show and 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 off, you know, generally speaking, is that these are the sort of emerging technology changes of our times, right? These are the technologies that are going to shape uh, how our our children live on this planet, and and they are coming so very quickly and sort of right under our noses. I'm, I mean, this this story received a little coverage in the tech press, but certainly not the same level that, you know, 
like the president's tweets do or 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 what have you. Yeah. There's not enough discussion, in my opinion, about uh, genomics uh, and its potential implications uh, on all all you know all the different elements of those issues. So, uh, number one, that's you know an important thing to be discussing. Secondly, I think that it's a brave new world, right? And 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 ultimately, we're helping to f- not formulate the policy, but we're helping to create, you know, the environment in in which this uh, uh, this technology would 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 be released. So so let, let me uh, take a second just to talk about some of the good things that uh, that will come of this. I mean, we mentioned, you know, uh, potentially reducing the amount of uh, gluten in wheat, for example. You talked about the the strawberries that could be, you know, made more more flavorful. Um, we talked about herbicide resistance or, or uh, uh, fungal resistance or boosting certain nutrients. Uh, we have lots of people on the planet and we need to you know, we need to feed them all. And, uh, you know, this GMO technology is going to, you know, potentially allow that to happen. So yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's worth also mentioning some, some of the positive uh, uh, potential uh, and the great positive potential that's, that's you know, already happening with, with GMO foods um, while we're also wearing our skeptic hats. Yeah. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a great information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. The whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging tech, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 253 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.